Hello and welcome to Learning That Sticks. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I'll be speaking with experts from the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, techniques and methods for creating learning solutions that truly stick. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Scott Hunter from the Innovate Crowd, and we're going to explore how we can use micro-learning to help learning truly stick in the workplace. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been it's a pleasure to be here. No, that's likewise, likewise. So before we get into the truly sticky stuff, maybe if you could, for the benefit of our listeners, share a bit of a potted history of your career in learning and how it's evolved to, to where you are today. Okay. So um, when I was, I joined the UK prison service in when I was about 22, 23, something like that. Um, and a few years after that, I became a part-time trainer in the establishment I was. Um, and after 14 years, I then joined the national training team uh, within them working um, on things like hostage negotiation, crisis management, um, leadership, and that type of stuff. And then 10 years ago, I left um, and started working as a freelance associate, delivering CIPD and HR and leadership and qualifications, generally in the Middle East. And about 18 months ago, I started uh, the Innovate Crowd, which is my drive or my attempt to try and change the perception of learning. Because I've seen the good, the bad, and the downright ugly in my <laughs> career of what learning can do. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure we'll have plenty of conversations that lead around those three levels, for sure. <laughs> Probably. Absolutely. So, Scott, we when we had a chat previously, we talked about this notion of micro-learning. So, mm-hmm. again, maybe, is it, how would you define micro-learning? Because there's lots of, lots of terminology in the world of learning, isn't there? And sometimes I certainly get the sense that people have different perceptions about what different things are. So how, how would you define micro-learning? Um, I can cheat here because I had an interview with somebody who was a micro-learning expert, and I'm going to nick their <laughs> definition because I think it's a very good one. Um, I think it's something that's short, uh, succinct and has a purpose. So it has an, an, an outcome. So it's not just about uh, giving something some information. There is a result from that learning. So it can be something that can be standalone, short, but has a, a purpose to it. That's interesting. And the short bit is interesting because um, I've been having a look at micro-learning recently and, and researching a little bit, not in any great depth, but something that struck me was uh, people who are writing about it with some degree of expertise were suggesting between three to seven minutes long would be uh, the duration of a micro-learning. Is that, is, that, is that aligned to how you might view that? Or? Um, I think you can, you can achieve an extraordinary amount in three to seven minutes. And again, it depends on what you're doing with those three to seven minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I, once you start getting into 15, 20, then again, again, with terminology, I think you're then going into bite-sized. Well, that, uh, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking because I, I remember the phrase bite-sized has been around for a long time. And I think the view of bite-sized often was a sort of 30-minute session, wasn't it? We, we've, we've narrowed down from full days to shorter lunch and learns or whatever phrase might be out there, but bite-sized might have been 30 minutes. And micro is taking that a stage further, isn't it? And really narrowing it down to short, sharp, interventional, and very specific outcome-based learning. Yeah, and I think the thing about micro-learning, if you're going to do micro-learning, um, is, is really distilling the essence of what you want it to deliver. So you've got to be very specific about the outcome you're looking for from this. And I don't like the word learning outcome because I think it's about performance. Mm-hmm. So what's the behavior difference or the performance you want to encourage people to do? Um, and then how can you create an opportunity 
for them to explore that in five minutes, say three to seven minutes, whatever it is, so say five, 10 minutes, uh, for them to explore that and then look at delivering that. And delivering that specific outcome as a result. Yeah. See, the other thought that came to my mind as well, if I think back to the beginning of the pandemic, when a lot of people involved in learning who perhaps hadn't embraced the world of virtual learning previously and suddenly needed to to shift their whole approach because of, of practical necessities, Perhaps initially people thought, well, that's fine. I can take a day's workshop that I delivered face-to-face and in person and simply break it into four sessions of virtual training and it'll be exactly the same. And of course, then hit that realisation that delivering virtually and enabling learning virtually and delivering performance outcomes is very different than it is in person. And I guess the same could be said with with micro-learning. It's not a case of taking a 30-minute bite-sized session and chopping it into five, six-minute modules. No, and I think that's sometimes what we do when we try and shorten the, the training. What we tend to do is just chunk it down. Because um, you know, when we, normally when you design something, you say, oh, there's, there's always the need to know and the nice to have. And then what we tend to do is throw out the nice to have and have the need to know. But that puts us under an awful lot of pressure of no flexibility. And what happens if somebody wants to explore something in that conversation or that debate that's really important to that learning? But because we've made it so tight, it's very difficult to give people that space. So there is a real risk um, of just shortening shortening something that we just lose a lot of opportunities within that. So I think it's about what's the essence of it. What are you what are you drilling down? So I would say micro behaviour, micro learning. Okay, micro behaviour. Any, I mean, can you give us give us an example of one that you maybe seen or experienced or would design yourself that would bring that to light a little bit? Okay, so um, am I allowed to do a bit of a plug? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can do a little bit of a plug. <laughs> so we've got, uh, coming up, we've got the uh, week-long learning, sort of work, learning at work week. So I've set a challenge of how can we help improve communication of everyone in the organisation, communication skills of everyone in the organisation within a week. Now, you can't do that by sending people on training courses. And communication itself is a massive subject. So I've had to look at it and sort of break it down into, okay, what does communication mean to me? What are the types of behaviors that make effective communication? And I just kind of then broke that down into like different areas. And I said, and what's the most important one? So what's the, what's, what's the catalyst of behavior that helps create good communication in, in, in conversations I was thinking specifically? And so I thought the first one is actually not talking at the time of anybody else. So if you talk at the same time as somebody else, there's limited communication going on and it's just not working. So that needs to be um, the catalyst. That's the micro behavior that allows other behaviors to be built upon it. So I just created an activity and it says, and and to me, this is a micro learning is. So as you go about your day to day, when you get invited to uh, conversations or you're involved in conversations, when you see somebody else's lips move, lip sync yours to stop moving. That's it. It's the only behavior I want you to do. And you know I'm trying to practice that behavior right now. <laughs> well, we can see each other. We're not on radio, so it's a little bit easier. Um, but what, So imagine if you've got your whole organization playing that game mm. for a whole day. And at the end of the day, you then have five, ten minutes, either in individually or in a group, a small group or a pair, and you have some reflection questions about what was that experience like? What did I learn from it? How did it alter the times where lip sync did happen and what was the difference between when it didn't happen? How might people have felt in those different circumstances? 
So now you have an emotional connection to the experience afterwards. So although the learning has taken place and the activity is actually a whole working day, it is in essence is a micro learning activity because the instructional side of it is five, 10 minutes. And obviously the reflection element is almost a, an additional micro learning session itself or part of that micro learning, but they've actually been learning all day long yep. with only a five or six minute intervention at the beginning and maybe a three to four minute intervention at the end yep. that brings it together. Yes. That's interesting because we were talking about the connection between reflection and like micro learning earlier, weren't we, before we started the, the podcast. Um, and in my mind, if I think of micro learning, because my world is so immersed in big, chunky learning journeys, micro learning seems to have a really, really useful space also in the area of reflection and reflective practice once you're going through that learning journey. Yeah, I mean, a micro-learning could just be asking somebody to uh, reflect on an experience in and itself and just spend five or ten minutes. That's, that's, that's the space of five or seven minutes that somebody can spend learning because they're reflecting and the reflection is part of that learning journey. It could be um, watching a video on how to do a pivot table. That's a micro-learning opportunity because it's under five minutes and it's about developing that skill that somebody needs at the time. So I don't have to send somebody away on a course about um, how to do Excel because I don't want to learn how to do Excel. I just, I'm struggling with a pivot table. So I can just go, okay, onto YouTube, how do I do a pivot table? There's a the thing. All right, I'm, I'm watching and doing at the same time. I'm learning and doing. And so it becomes much more accessible in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's in the moment training or in the moment of need learning, if that makes sense. Yeah. What makes it sticky? So... For those that are maybe more, in their background, their practice in the world of learning is very much around big, chunkier interventions. What makes these micro sessions particularly sticky, if you like? Um, partly because I think the, the ability to do it is very close to the point of need, but also the point of experience. And there's a relevance to it. So it's relevant. If so if you're asking people to actually stop talking, and you give them an activity like lip sync, then they, they, they're practicing that all the time, all the time, all the time. And if you do that for about three or four days, it starts becoming habitual. Because what you could also do in activities like that lip sync is you're now creating a safe language for people to question the behaviors you don't want to see in the organization. Because they could say, oh, lip sync, if somebody spoke over them. So what it's now doing is creating a way of, again, reinforcement. So if you look at how uh, we work behaviorally, um, for behaviors to change, according to research by a guy called Fogg, F-O-G-G, -G, like, um, not Phileas, I don't think it was, I don't think it was Phileas. Um, he says the three things need to be in place, and this I'll put myself under pressure now because I've got to remind, remember him of Pat. One of them is the uh, ability, motivation, and opportunity. Micro-learning allows us to provide all of those really quickly and easily. Um, and if you want people to change, quite often behavior, huge behavioral change is difficult. Iterative behavioral change is easier. So if we can use micro-learning to create iterative behavioral changes at the point of work, with the ability to reflect, maybe get feedback, whatever it is, um, and then say, well, if somebody stops, so like go back to the communication, somebody stopped talking, now what? 
So I say, okay, we've now got that nailed. What's the next thing we'd like them to do to improve? So we then say, right, what's the next layer of iterative behavior we'd want to place on top of that? So the next activity I've got is called two-minute warning. As you go about your day-to-day, um, in your conversations you're having, go two minutes without referencing yourself. And then you're encouraged them to ask questions about the person, listen to what the other person's saying. So if now people are stopping talking, they're stopping interrupting, but they're also stopping talking about themselves and showing an interest in the other person. So we've now got two iterative behaviours that are the basis for being a really effective communicator. I want to go back to that point you've just made from not Phileas Fogg and those the second two elements of that, which really... Um, I think nicely describe the stickability of, of micro learning and that often if you're on a more traditional learning session that might be away from the workplace, that might be in a safe space where people are debating ideas, covering off theory, doing whatever they might do there, the motivation isn't always as strong because it's not necessarily at that moment that they need to be able to do those things. They might be learning something for a potential situation in the future. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to properly practice them isn't necessarily there because it's an entirely safe space as well. And the micro learning that happens in that workplace, the motivation, I mean, you mentioned like learning how to do a pivot table. I'm struggling how to do my pivot table. I have a micro learning session I can access straight away because my motivation to get this pivot table created and working properly is right there. And I have the opportunity to work on my proper pivot table at that point in time to get that out. Seems to me those two things almost define the purpose of micro learning sessions. Yeah, if those are the ones that just in time type of sessions you can have. So you you create really small bits of. I mean, and the other thing that amazes me about learning is we all we we tend to know what challenges people are going to come across in the working lives. And so why don't we create access to stuff that's going to help people when we know these challenges are going to come up that they can access. So speak to people in the job. What's the what's the things you had to learn? Uh, to make you really effective at what you do? What's what's some of the, the key things you've learned? We've now identified some of the key learning. Okay, how can we create something that people can access just in time around those key skills that we know that are needed within specific roles and allow people to have access to that? And there's something about instant and ready access to small, chunky learning opportunities that I think also has the potential to influence people's mindset around learning as well. Yeah, they don't see learning as going to a training classroom. They see, and they, they don't actually, people don't say, <laughs> people don't say, oh, I need to learn. They just say, I need to do this stuff. So in some ways, if we I want to be better at X or whatever it might be, yeah. So it's not about providing learning opportunities, I think. It's just helping people do what they want to do. And if we change sort of our perception of what we're delivering from take it away, okay, I'm not delivering learning. I'm delivering the opportunity for people to do what they need to do when they need to do it. Yeah, I suppose I'm thinking of it in the mindset of, if you took the mindset of a really high performer, uh, and often, you know, we've had conversations that go off on tangents into sport, but the world of sport is often where we get exposed to the high performers that have pushed themselves to extremes to be able to perform at a really, really high level in their chosen sport or wherever their talent might lie. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you know we've often had that debate around performance and learning and essentially they're the same you know they, they equate to the same thing because you're learning to be able to perform better but high performers there are constantly learning constantly challenging themselves to improve everything they do and they do that through a combination of trying new things and reflecting on how those things work for them and they'll do it in the moment of actually practicing their given skill or sport or whatever they might be doing aren't they whereas in a, a, a work environment when I say work I'm not implying sports people don't work but in a, a, let's call it a business environment or an office environment or a work environment um, learning and performance I think this always seems to be entirely separate you that, go through a learning intervention or, or a training course or a program of learning whatever that might be performance is something that happens whilst you're at work and it's almost like they're completely separated yeah and I think that's that's a perception that really has to change. And I think partly L&D have got to be the drivers of that perception. As they, Let's stop talking about learning. Let's talk about performance. Let's stop talking about learning outcomes and look at a business impact. Um, and then look at how can we, I think I said it before we came on there, I said, I don't see L&D as the owners of learning in organizations. I see them as the facilitators of the opportunity to develop the skills, knowledge, uh, behaviors that we would like to see in an organization that will drive the performance we're looking for. So that's, that's the alignment concept of where it goes. And we don't own the learning. Learning happens. Now, we all learn every day. Some are more, more open to that concept than others. And you have a learning culture in your organization. Everybody does. So if somebody turns up for work, they, they learn how we normally speak to customers. They learn how, how my work is done. They learn um, how management deal with people. They learn about the culture of the organization and how you function within that. So we have learned. So this thing also about trying to create a learning organization is a bit of a misnomer. We have a learning organization. What we want is a positive one that gets us in the right direction, not one that's toxic and, and people leave or creates performance or workflow issues that are against the performance of the organization. Makes me wonder if micro learning should be renamed as micro performance or performance gains or something different. So again, it's not it's not seen as shoehorning something into or, or even branding with something that people perceive differently. And that actually each mini session of whatever context it might be is actually about uh, how you can either reflect on or build on a level of performance you're already producing. Yeah, and I think partly, and that's a really good point. I think partly. Of part of L&D is that perception again I'll go back to is the language we use because we were talking before about the opportunity of what micro learning is and it's not necessarily all these constructed things it can be something quite easy um, you could ask somebody to do a thought experiment that's a learning opportunity it worked for Einstein <laughs> so it's not <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah, a lot of what we actually build physics on is from thought experiments so why are they not valid learning a valid learning vehicle so why don't we use them? You know, I'm, I'm just thinking you also mentioned before, it sounds like Scott and I were talking for hours before this call, but uh, we're used to engaging on this subject about something you did recently where you created 10,000 ideas in 10 minutes or something along those lines as, a, as an innovative little session. Um, made me think, actually, we could almost do something similar, but with a particular focus on um, my, if we're going to keep calling it micro-learning, whatever that gets branded as, um, opportunities for micro-learning within a given business. There are thousands of ideas where, and these are not timely interventions, these are quite easy for someone to pick up at the right moment and the right time that could incrementally improve their performance. 
Absolutely. And I think um, I, just, I just wrote something on LinkedIn today, which strangely enough, and I said, the opportunity for providing learning opportunities is limited only by our imagination, which is limitless. And then we need to move away from having this construct of what we think training and learning is about. Training and learning is something that we do as human beings all our lives. Mm-hmm. And within L&D, and if you haven't got an L&D department within your management team and your leaders or small, even small businesses, is guide it into people thinking about what they're doing and the performance you want that's aligned to what the business needs to achieve. And then what you're doing is facilitating this constant development and learning that happens for us every day, but it's it's guided into the way, and it, that moves us from a learning to a performance. And we don't own it, but if we're learning specialists, we can understand the learning journey. We understand how people think. We've got the and there's so many different sort of research about how we do it. So how can we bring that knowledge into the workplace and work with leaders about creating these micro or even bite-sized sometimes learning opportunities? that we can give people that are aligned to developing what we would like them to develop to achieve. And I think that's where the stickability of things like microlearning, because it takes it out of the classroom, puts it into the workplace. And really, longer term from that, if you build the, the habit of taking those opportunities to learn to improve your performance, it actually doesn't also need to be structured in a formal course or on a formal bit of software or in any formal way because actually it doesn't have to rely on the leadership either it's owned by everyone can create their own versions of these relatively easily to to build their performance at any moment in time yeah you could you could you could have a a, a competition with people so how 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 can we how did you how did you learn how to do your job ask people how did you get good at what you do and you say what did you do to do it and then you start and then people say that, and then you now know how people in your organization have consumed this knowledge or skills that you want. And so well, that's, that's what they're doing voluntarily. So how can we harness some of those ideas or some of those behaviors or habits they have to give, again, we go into this learning conversation, don't we, where we can generate content for people to consume. So we're going to be going back to that learning language um, so that it can be aligned in the right way. And we can learn from people like marketing and Amazon as well. So, if you've got this, and again, depends on how much money you've got, you could have a system of really simple things people do. People have done this, also found this useful. So instead of, I mean, I know I was speaking to somebody from an organization once said, oh, we've got an LMS and we, we, we believe in self-directed learning. So we're going to let people decide what they learn. Oh, okay, that's cool. How many people have actually accessed engaged it or not many okay so what are you doing to encourage people to engage it what's the value in this for them in their organization so i think there is we still have to take some account of responsibility for this in helping drive it forward and helping encourage those people to do it and i think if you micro learning helps do that because you say because it's easy it doesn't take any time do i want to sit on an lms and do a two-hour program no could i watch a two-minute video yeah i could probably find time to do that because we're all busy as well. I think before when we came on air, yes, we were talking for a while and we and we uh, we should have recorded at the beginning because there was some chonking things we discussed, um, which is an idea that you came up, Mark, and say, like in call centres, what happens if at the end of calls, people had the opportunity, and we, we worked, we didn't have an, a number, specific number, no. and uh, where they had a little uh, sort of cheat sheet that they could answer and they're just their reflective questions. 
And they could take two minutes out three, four, five times a day where they just reflect on the calls that had an impact on them as individuals. And with the reflective questions, what you're doing is you're guiding that micro learning, but it's from their experience and they choose when to engage with that because when's it important for them? Not going to say 11 o'clock, everyone do reflective learning because some people say, what the hell? I've just had a decent call. It's all right. It's average. But let somebody do one when they've had a good call, other people when they've had a bad call because that's when they'll want to reflect on it more. So you give, as you say, the access to what they need to the people when they think it's relevant to them, which goes back to that motivation. So can we give control back to the people who who want to use it, but in a way that's guiding it to the, the direction we want? And I think as we were evolving that idea, because obviously there's there's all sorts of technological solutions out there for this now that can make it easy. You know, you'd almost encourage, you know, people in the contact centre are kind of tied to their desk a lot. You know, they've got a nice easy app on their phone. They can get, move away from their desk, do that two to three minutes of reflection. But imagine if you had a call centre of, say, 50 people and the majority of them were embraced in this habit of reflective learning after a certain period of time, certain number of calls, or even just a certain number of times a day where they choose when they might do it. The, the data and the feedback that would evolve after that as to what makes high performance in this role, which would feed into the recruitment of individuals, to the, the initial training and learning that might go on, uh, to the, the, the raising of standards all the way would be just vast compared to maybe the more traditional sort of call analysis and feedback forms that team leaders do once a week after someone's done a thousand calls. Yes, absolutely. And it's, and again, I think that's an area that L&D are going to get better at is about that data analysis and finding ways of capturing data and then feeding that, finding ways of feeding it into to improve what we do and what we offer and um, how it impacts on the organisation as a whole. But that's a whole, probably that's a whole different podcast. It's it is a whole a, different conversation, but I think... And, and, and I, I see these phases about how important data is, but if you think about a one-day training course on customer service skills, but how much data do you get out of that from people's, you know, the participants' input versus 50 people on the phone just in one week? I mean, even if they do it twice a day, you know, what's the maximum? You're, you're trying to work out the maths now. You made it really simple for yourself as well. It's 500. It's 500. There you go. Yeah, maths. I mean... My my twelve year old son's maths is way beyond me now. Let alone this. Um, so that's five hundred little mini um, captures of reflective learning based on real experience of the actual job itself, and what worked and what hadn't worked, or how you set that up every single week. That's that's a phenomenal uh, amount of information. But also, if you think about apart from just from the learning aspect, what are we actually learning about our customers as well? What are we learning about maybe the things that are coming through our call center on a massively regular basis? And then we can start saying, identify issues around uh, maybe our products or services or our processes that aren't helping because we're getting that volume of, mm-hmm. as you say, real life feedback in, in little small chunks. Um, because quite often when we work on data within L&D, we tend to work on the data that's out of date. So we do a learning needs analysis and that well, takes us three months to do one. It takes us six months to design the intervention, three months to deliver it. We're, we're working on things that are nine months old before we even started. Mm. Are they still there? Probably not. Um, so I think what micro-learning does also, it allows you to be the flexible because you can churn out micro-learning very, very, very quickly. Yeah, and, and adapt it to many, many different needs. So let me just, let me drive us in a slightly different direction because I'm curious now, 
and and hopefully this will be useful for the learners as well is like we've we've talked a lot about how useful micro learning is how sticky it is is there things that it's not really useful for and that you would say or not really relevant for or where it's it's yeah in other words it's not necessarily just the latest shiny thing we have to dive after it has its particular role to play in performance and, and people's abilities to perform in their role and there are areas it's not so useful for that you would say yeah i think you wouldn't do micro learning to teach somebody to be a doctor no hopefully not anyway no hopefully not not unless you go and see them <laughs> many consultations um so i think if you're doing something that's really really complicated then there is a need for more in-depth to say this is information can be consumed quickly but what it could do is support a lot of the things around some of the skills or knowledge around those longer programs. So I'm not saying like rip up your training and turn everything mm-hmm. micro. What I'm saying is if you've got something um, like a one-hour coaching session, uh, feedback session for somebody on how they're getting on over a couple of weeks and, and, and on, a, on a journey is really, really powerful. You can then use micro-learning activities between the coaching sessions to practice some of the things and the action plan and reinforce an action plan with somebody. So that then the next one, it's not just about, oh, have you done your action plan? There's actually something in that to help them do that. Or you can give them some activities that will align to what they want to do in their action, um, which uh, can f- give them a structure or framework to do those things with. See, I, what, listening to you there really resonated with a phrase that um, I think I saw this on a LinkedIn post and ended up re- reposting this where someone was talking about training in a sort of the wider scope rather than just around different form, formats of it and and saying that their their view of training that works was light theory heavy practice and deep reflection now my feeling is the practice and reflection almost always happens when the the facilitator the the trainer the coach whatever you might talk isn't there so you're you're in your place of work or wherever you're applying that learning that's where you practice and reflect and my view has always been that we're not although as you point out we're learning all the time i don't think many of us in work are consciously learning we're absorbing stuff and sometimes absorbing stuff that works and sometimes absorbing that's not I can see a really big role for micro-learning in that practice and reflection stage where you could have a series of micro-learning sessions around practice, that encouraging practice, and a series of them that are around, or they're joined up, that are around reflection and really encouraging that habitual behaviour of reflecting on things that you do to learn from them. And that, like you said, it doesn't take long to produce these. You could could quite rapidly produce a series of 10 or 20 micro-learning sessions, modules, whatever you want to call them, that would follow any kind of learning intervention that would prompt and nudge and encourage that deep reflect, uh, heavy practice and deep reflection to happen. Yeah, I think one of the key things about microlearning where I really see it, I mean, I, I, I think it can be sit alone as well, depending on how you do it. But again, not, nothing is majorly impactful or some skills microlearning won't. You can't develop certain skills through it, I would imagine. Well, I may be wrong. If you can break it down to the essence and put lots of them together. Um, but if you think about what normally happens is we send somebody on a three-day training course and then they expect them to come back into work and do what they're meant to be doing. And there's, this, there's the gap between the training and the work is the minor miracle. And I think the minor miracle support of that transition can be through micro-learning activities. It could be just somebody read this, read this quick article about this, or here's, here's a visual on uh, the model after a couple of days, just to, to remind people. Okay, when you go about the, like leadership, when you go about today, think about your staff. Take 10 minutes and, or five, 10 minutes, sit down and you just plot where you, where you think your staff are on this grid. 
And then you're asking them to think about that theory, put it into practice and do that. And that's something we tend to might ask people to do in the classroom, but why does it need to be in the classroom when it can be outside afterwards? So that's, again, an example of something that's quite simple that can be done afterwards. That's about reinforcing that learning and encouraging them the continuation of that habit in the place where you want it, which is the transition from theory to practice. Well, also the responsibility sits with them then, doesn't it? That they lead their own learning as opposed to the more traditional model of saying, make sure you have a conversation with your line manager when you go back to sort of debrief on this training session. Um, that immediately someone else's responsibility. Whereas if you have a series of these micro lesson, micro learning sessions to go through, you can take control of your own stickiness, if you like, your own embedding of the skills that you've, you've developed. Yeah, and I think we need to look at that journey as also a responsibility that we can hold the learner, which I don't like the word learner, so I'm calling them participant. You can hold the participant accountable because it's structured. So these are the things that we've got here. And then they can have meetings with their manager and we can record what they've done, not just about have you done it, but then you're going, so at the end of this month, you've got to have a 15 minute conversation with your line manager about these experiences. And I'm saying, what have you done? What have you found? And then what you're then doing them is them explaining what they've done, but there's an accountability section in that. And to do that, what we also would make it work better is if we had the buy-in and the support of management in understanding that learning journey and saying it's not training's responsibility on its own or learning and development. It's not the it's not the participant's responsibility on its own and it's not the line management responsibility on its own or the, the, the management as a team. Right. These are three key stakeholders who have to have key roles. And if we can hold each other accountable for that, then what I think you'll get is a much more joined up thinking about how this works in the workplace. And really, from the responsibility, thinking of our listeners who might be predominantly involved on the learning side, the L&D function, the, the independent learning consultants, the trainers, the coaches, the actual effort required to build that path of that, that, that like the, the, the final stages of the learning journey that they might be involved in, which is this series of micro learning sessions actually isn't, it's not hugely time consuming. Like you said, they're small, they're short. They might involve a single video, a, a single series of questions to do. They're not lengthy, chunky design creations. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a huge responsibility. It's not like adding huge layers of extra work on someone to be able to create that. Uh, no, and I think as you practice more, mm. you can become more creative in what you would put in there and how they would work. Um, and I think something like, let's say you're in giraffe pads, is utilizing that social learning aspect is a really easy way of then dumping stuff into, the dumping is probably a wrong word, but utilizing that platform to encourage that, okay, this is this is this week's or this month's micro low or this week's or this day's micro learning activity. Put your reflections in here, have a discussion about it. And then you're, you, you've got a, a way of actually having that social learning element, which is, again, building that, as you say, that reflection. Because I think quite often we build activities, which are really good at in learning and development. We're really good at thinking about activities. And then it's like, okay, where's the reflection in that activity? And I think that's the bit we sometimes miss out. We don't give enough time for that. Uh, we go, all right, I'm conscious of time. So one or two people just tell me what you thought. All right, thank you very much. And now lunchtime, off yeah. we go, which is... The other thing you do is a, is a month-long treasure hunt. Okay, I like this. Expand on that idea. You could give people like a treasure hunt and you've got, I don't know, and and it's only open at certain points during the day when the organisation is really quiet. Um, and that could be around them finding clues, which are re referenced to the learning 
that you want them to do or behavioral things? And then how did you get on with it? And you can do it as a team or as individuals. You could create virtual teams around doing this treasure hunt. And that could be a journey of treasure hunts that they do. And at the end, they, they, they complete that, which creates, so you sort of a gamification, if you like, of the micro learning journey. I can even imagine that you could that you could use that to encourage the social learning aspect you talked about as well. Like one of the treasures you have to find is is two fellow participants, if that's what we're going to call them, who are on the course with you, who have already managed to do X. Mm-hmm. So they have to go and explore. They have to go and ask questions. They have to discover that of their fellow participants. One little treasure they have to find. Um, go and find one um, performance improvement that's relevant to whatever we were talking about that's happened in the last two weeks. Um, in X, really simple micro little learning sessions, encouraging reflection, encouraging social learning. Relevant to the work, easy to do. Uh, can be can be recorded on the on on the yeah. participation. You can actually see then the level of participation and reflection as well, which could be part of the behaviours you're talking about, which could then be reported back. So you're looking at the behavioural changes of people. Um, and 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 you could be stuff about the organisation as well. So. This this person has a clue that's important to you, but you give a, you give maybe what this person's responsibility is or their outcomes that they deliver for work, but don't give a name, and they then have to work out who does that in our organisation. Imagine that for something like induction. Yeah. <laughs> these people now have to go around and work out who does what in my business, and I'm not sat there for hours telling them and going through the org chart, which bores them senseless and they forgot it after ten minutes, but they find it out because it's there's an incentive to do it, there's a motivation to do it, it's, it's easy, it's usable. Well, also, think of the skills that develops in people in terms of their curiosity, their questioning skills, uh, their thinking process, and their analytical skills of looking around this office space or looking around uh, that organisation and thinking, what do I need to ask that person? Where is that likely to be? Um, that curiosity would build such an understanding of the business in such a rapid time. Um, you might want to copyright these ideas. <laughs> Got some great ideas coming out here. For- I, I love this. Is I love thinking about these, and I think that's about. I say that the mission of my organisation is change perception and learning is to work with people in L&D or the business owner and say, how can you develop your staff? And, it, and to me, most of the time, it doesn't have to be formal training. I'm not saying there isn't a place for it because I think there right. is. Uh, but I do think there's, there's the, 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 the gamut of how we can create learning opportunities aligned to what we want people to be able to do differently or, or what we need them to be able to do, behave, or whatever it is in our organization in a way that engages and does that as fun um, is amazing um you know scott i think we could probably carry on talking about this <laughs> almost hey, hey. <laughs> um, and, and we share a passion around it, it, like you said it's, it's not it, we've moved long past the idea of a training course providing the the golden nugget or the tick in the box that, that delivers something um and moving much more forward towards um learning being an aspect of driving performance in a business and, and then being everywhere and every day. And I particularly like, having had this conversation with you, I feel my understanding of micro-learning has, has shot through the roof as to the almost limitless potential of it supporting anything to do with any role in there, in the moment, motivational opportunity learning. Um, I think that is the very definition of learning that sticks. Hopefully. Well, I'm I'm glad you found it useful. I'm glad you found it useful. If not, we'll get you back on next week and we'll talk about something else (laughs) that makes sense. 
we'll talk about long-term learning and how that works. Because there is a, I'm not saying there's not a space for um, people being in the classroom because it, it, it does stuff that other other methods cannot do. And if you've got a skilled facilitator, it's massively valuable. Um, but I think we just need to move away from seeing learning as an event to seeing learning as a journey or a program or a process. Hundred percent, and and this is it's definitely not as in all learning should be micro, but for sticky learning, micro learning absolutely has a space um, and has a role to play. Yeah, I think it's looking at blending. How does it? Can it sit alone? If so, great, because sometimes it will work. But then, how can it be blended with what other things we're doing to really add that stickability factor, or to really reinforce what we're trying to do? Absolutely. Scott, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this. Um, for our learners' benefits, how could they, if they want to reach out and connect with you, where would they, where would they find you? Um, you can find me on www.theinnovatecrowd.com, which is my website, which is really simplistic. Um, a bit like me, really. Simple. Doesn't try, try not to overcomplicate things. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. They're probably the two easiest ways to find me. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll share those on the show notes too. Um, really, really appreciate everyone listening today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on www.giraffepad.com. And like Scott, I'm also on LinkedIn as well. And if you feel like making any suggestions or, or raising a subject that you'd like us to explore around sticky learning, please feel free to message us directly. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you.